Hey everybody! So today we have another first. Uh, it is our first male voice on the podcast. We had one guest, you know, but she was also a woman. And today we are bringing on um, a very special man to me because it is my husband, Brett. <laughs> but I'm going to let Amanda introduce him because if I introduced him one, it might go way too long. And also I might use some embarrassing words. So we're going to skip that. <laughs> Welcome to Book Fair, a feast for every season of reading. We are a growing community of curious readers who share the excitement of books. We want to read together and feast together through the seasons of the year and the seasons of our lives, and we hope you join us. Today, we welcome Brett Culp. He is Trisha's husband. Woohoo! But he is also an acclaimed documentary filmmaker. His work has inspired the heroic spirit in audiences around the world. His films have been featured on Netflix and Amazon Prime. He is a social entrepreneur and keynote speaker. Brett inspires audiences to engage in a passionate, meaningful mission that leaves a positive impact and ignites the heroic spirit. He's the co-founder of the Rising Heroes Project, a 501c3 that supports charitable organizations and empowers community leaders. You can learn more about his work at brettculp.com. Wow, that was quite an introduction. Thanks, Amanda. Sure, I wrote it myself. <laughs> Actually, my mom wrote that. <laughs> oh, so, Brett... I mean, you have a big intro there. I don't know if you know this. We're famous podcasters. I know you are. That's why I'm here. <laughs> so this is all well-matched. That's right. That's right. That's right. So today we're going to be talking about the hero's journey, which was as an Enneagram 4, wing 3. Brett is also. I kind of live my life like every moment I live is authentic and new and completely my own. And no one's ever felt this way before. And no one has ever pursued what I am currently pursuing. I'm, that's only a small amount of exaggeration. I wish it was more. <laughs> Nor will they ever pursue Nor it. Nor will they ever again. Bread. They will not we, attempt it. You and I live our lives knowing this. Only us, yes. You and I. And that's just, that's just the load we bear. But now Brett is going to be telling us something that is... Today I'm learning that... The hero's journey is not a new thought. It has been discussed in literary classes forever that we are essentially reading the same story over and over and over again. Imagine my shock. <laughs> and disappointment. Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? It's because they haven't written my story. That's probably That's why. right. That's right. Um, Discouraged for two weeks. To catch you up really quickly, some of you are just nodding your head like, well, Elizabeth, I'm sorry, you didn't know this. Everyone knew this. But many of you are saying, what in the world? So a quick recap. The hero's journey is the idea that from, I mean, ancient Greek literature on, we are essentially reading the same story where you have this person and there is a call to some sort of greatness that they need to rise through. There is a threshold, then a mentor, then a near-death experience, and then a transformation where they become what they needed to be to deal with this life or situation and then there is atonement and finally they return to their old world as a new and changed person so that may be like superhero powers or it may just be like my experience has changed the essence of who i am and now i live my life differently that that formula will fit anything but brett is a superhero guy and you deal with how we are superheroes and are or, or could be in our daily world, would you say? Or yeah, so, are you want to inspire us too? Well, you know, superheroes. Let's let me let me take a step back. Take it back. Okay. So so I mean superheroes are a pretty modern innovation. Yeah. We've had the stories of heroes for a long, long time, and I want to talk more about that. But right now, I mean the superhero craze which has been building for eighty years. And we are now reaching a new crescendo is of... It 80 years? Yeah, I mean, Superman is that old. Superman's 1938. Wow. He, he first appeared in Action Comics number one. And that was so successful that it launched every 
you know, you go from Superman to Batman to Aquaman to Hawkman to every kind of man. <laughs> and then you finally get to Wonder Woman. Okay, fine. You know, and so, you know, and then it just got more and more creative over time, the variations. I believe this idea of these superheroes with superpowers are the result of a modern age where we are starting to realize our great power as human beings, hmm. both collectively and individually. I mean, you think about the timing of that. You know, you're talking about World War II. You're talking about atomic bombs. You're talking about a time when we realize as human beings we're more powerful than we thought. So the idea of Hercules or a great superpowered person, that's not far out in the distance as a myth. We can, in a single moment of horrible imagination, destroy an entire city. Yeah. That can happen. Yeah, and has. And has, and did in that moment in time. And the fear of that, but what we wanted to believe in our hearts was that that great power was on our side, fighting for us, fighting for our values, our hometown, small town, born in Kansas values. And that is the reason why Superman was such a phenomenon and the reason why they're having such a hard time reinventing him for a modern era because everybody connects to Batman, the brokenness, the darkness, the discouragement. Superman was moral Superman was hope. Superman was the positivity that deep in the core of our country and our collective self, we were good and we were a great power rising in the world. That was a narrative that came from World War II, but now, and that's how Captain America came from too, right? Mm -hmm. But Batman and Wolverine resonate a little more with us now. Maybe we're not such good people. Maybe there's evil and darkness in our soul, and we'll wake up in the night in fevered dreams and kill each other. Power under control, or is it under control? Right, but still, still hero's journey. I'm on a a Mm sidetrack, but that's all still within the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. It just represents a different sense of consciousness. Yeah, I totally get that because the question is, I had to become this and now what do I do with it? Right. I mean, that is the great question of the superhero is they have this power. What do they do? You know, the Spider-Man answer is, of course, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. But the, the realization we all have to come to is that you are holding in your hand right now a supercomputer that you are likely listening to this on. And the question is, that is great power. What will you do with it? Will you use it to watch cat memes? Sometimes, right? Sometimes. Well, yeah. And argue (laughs) with people in the comments about your particular views on the current event and the current moment. Will you use it to spread anger and bitterness and hatred and disconnection? Or will you use this superpower that you're holding in your hand, this green lantern ring, in terms of the scope of power of it that you are holding in your hand, not on your finger, but in your hand. This is a magic lasso. Will you use it for good? Will you use it to lift others up, to create connection, to make a difference? What will you choose to do with that superpower? I think these superhero stories and movies are more powerful than ever and more resonant than ever because we're all having to make that decision at every moment of every day. Yeah, I follow an influencer that constantly talks about, like, we already know the dangers of social media, so rise to the responsibility of curating your feed. Yes. Because that's what you're putting in yourself. And I really, I like that. But I I have just been thinking about this since we first talked about it, the idea of how we could have the same story, but how much the details matter. The details are what make us up. Our little moments are our whole life. So the details of what made this person's story might be the part that I shared with them. That yes. may be why I connected to Batman over over Superman or this ancient piece of work over that one because their details felt more familiar to me. Well, that's an interesting observation. And so, so let me even take a step back to this whole idea. You mentioned we've been talking about this forever, but the reality is we actually haven't. Although the hero's journey has been part of these stories ancient time, from ancient times, the idea of us understanding that consciously is relatively new. And really, it begins with a book that Joseph Campbell, who was a scholar, wrote called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Yeah, I plan which, on linking that. Which speaks to what you're talking about, which is he went, he was a scholar of myth and ancient religion. And he went through all of these texts from all religions and cultures and backgrounds and heritages and times and everything else to find those common themes. So thus, the face is different. 
Mm-hmm. The face is different, but the story is the same. The so, Paul's real different. quick for an example. Cyrus the Great, Moses, Jesus, obviously out of order there, but all begin with a story of a child who was a, some sort of a threat to a, car, a current king, and so they're hidden away and then raised as normal and then grow up to save their, on different levels, civilization. Yeah, so, so, so to say, before example. we go even deeper into what I was saying a second ago, let's use that as an example of what you just said. So in my documentary film, Legends of the Night, which you can watch on Amazon Prime, Apple it's so TV, good. You or Tubi. Yes, it's, it's available for free on Tubi if you have that, but you can pay to rent it or watch it on Amazon Prime or uh, on Apple TV. There's an interview that I did with a guy named Michael Uslan, who was the executive producer of all the Batman films. And still, if you watch the newest Batman film, executive producer, Michael Uslan, he's in all of them, from 1989's Tim Burton movie on, including all the Lego movies and everything. Wow. He's executive producer of every single one of them. And he tells a story about when he was in college, he had the idea, there was an open call that anyone, they said, if you want to teach an elective, come and present your idea. And if you can get it approved by the board, we will let you teach it. Well, he presented the idea of a class about comic books. And this was like back in the 70s, I guess. Insulting. Yeah, it was. And when he walked in, I mean, this was considered literature for children and morons. Like that's what comic books was at that time, you know, in the 60s, late in the 60s, early 70s. And he presented this thing. And at the end of it, they said, this is, this is stupid, Michael. We're not going to accredit this. And he said, well, can I, can we talk for just a minute? And he said, Michael said, tell me the story of Moses. And he said, okay, Moses, Israel, Israelite people are being oppressed. All the children are getting killed. You know, Moses's mother creates a little basket, puts him in the river down the road. He is found by the, the princess of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter, and raised as one of their own. He says, okay, great. Do you remember the story of Superman? Mm-hmm. Tell me the story <laughs> of Superman. Okay, planet Krypton's about to explode. His parents put him on a little rocket ship, send him to Earth. He is found by the Kents who raised them as his own on a foreign land. He realizes he has great powers. And then the professor stopped and said, Mr. Uslan, your course is accredited. That's awesome. I love that story. Oh, that's a great story. And it speaks to the nature of that, what you're talking about, which is these stories have been going and we're telling the same stories over and over again without even realizing it. And, you know, you've grown up with a Superman story. Did you connect it that way to the story of Moses? Another story you may have grown up with? Maybe not. And yet, as children, we're told both stories and not realizing how interconnected and parallel they are. And I'm realizing in this moment, it's parallel to the Harry Potter story. Yes. Voldemort is rising in power. He's killing all of the good witches and wizards. Yes. He's in danger. His parents give up their life to save him. They send him off somewhere where he will be safe. Yeah. Yeah. He is raised in another world, and then when he comes of age, becomes the great person to lead. A mentor steps in. Yep. Yeah. It's the whole thing. That's right. And every for every age, it's reinvented with a new face, thus the hero with a thousand faces. The story is changed to match the culture, the issues, the politics, the social structure, all of those things, whether that hero is a bold hero or a reluctant hero, whether they rise from nothing or they rise from the, you know, wherever it is, but those things shift. In Superman's story, it's much more of a technological, scientific story. Why? Because it's the modern age. Buddha story is the same too. Yes, yes. Like it's all coming. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But but Superman begins in the beginning. You know, is told in a modern age of rockets and space and exploration, and so his story is very much of aliens and other planets and all of that. But Harry Potter's story is told at a much different time of consciousness, a much more postmodern time. So we're talking about magic. We're not talking about science. Mm-hmm. We're talking about magic. Superman gets his power from the sun. From, you know, these more natural, scientific sort of processes. Where does Harry Potter get his? Magic. It's magic. Because we're living in a much more time where we have more spiritual awareness. And we don't know exactly what it is. We're not going to know what to call it. But it is this. We're not going to name it. But it is this magical force that is beyond us, which is very postmodern in nature. Mm -hmm. And so you change the face, but it's still the same story. Okay. Can I stop us for a minute? So this is a podcast about books and the people who are listening are readers. So 
Why are we talking about the hero's journey for a bunch of readers? Yeah, so let me let me take one more before I answer that question. Let me take one more step back and then I will he answer. He never wants to answer my questions. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm allowed to do this to you. We're uh-huh. married. Uh-huh. So Joseph Campbell. We talked about Joseph yeah. Campbell for a minute. But where did Joseph Campbell ultimately come up with this idea? Where did it come from? From ancient literature. Well, but even a step even a step more recent than that. So Carl Jung's famous psychologist. He was contemporary with Sigmund Freud. And we know Sigmund Freud a little bit better, but Carl Jung just as important in all of this. He had a theory that he called the collective unconsciousness. And that theory was that within every single one of us, when we are born, we come into the world with certain ideas. They are imprinted in our mind, in our heart. Hmm. Now, religion and spiritual texts, they will talk about that too, that we have eternity in our hearts, things like that. They are imprinted on us. Yeah, I think that's unintentionally biblical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but, but he theorized we come in with all of these things as well. Well, one of those ideas within the elect- collective unconsciousness is the story of the hero. Th- that outline you went through at the beginning of our discussion, Elizabeth, that that is really baked into us from the beginning. And that explains why storytellers who have never met each other from different eras, different continents, different cultures, how is it that they're all telling the same story again and again when they've never met? It's not like they're building, it's not like they've read each other's literature and they're building on it. We could talk about that in the history of English literature maybe, but how is it that someone in China who never met, you know, Charles Dickens, or whatever, you know, they're not, they can't, that's his answer to that question. Well, it was that premise of the collective unconsciousness that inspired Joseph Campbell to understand that and to bridge that gap of how it could be that we're all doing that. Now, to answer your question, Tricia, because I, w- I promise I would get back to it, is, is that question of essentially, so what that means is twofold. It means that as storytellers, we cannot help but do this. We can't help it. It's what the human brain enjoys. That's correct. So when a, when a, it's just the way we are programmed to see the world. The same way fish don't realize they're swimming in water and yet they are. Mm-hmm. They, they don't see the water, but they just are swimming in it. We're swimming in stories the exact same way. We're swimming in hero stories that way. And, and it shapes our sense, not just of the art and we create and the stories we tell, but the way we see ourselves and our own journeys. So from a literary perspective, why, why it's not just that the writer is, is sort of like instinctively has to tell these stories because they don't really know any way to not tell it. But we as readers are programmed to see our lives and the lives of others that way. And so it only feels natural for us to dive into their story because we see ourselves in that story. And it is we our go face. through the journey and That's grow correct. with the story, which is, which is why we read in general. We go through it. We, we grow. We have those experiences together or on our own. Yeah, I see that. And then... Learn those lessons and become. When I was working on Legends of the Night, I interviewed an academic named Jonathan Gottschall. And he had written a book called The Storytelling Animal. And in the interview and in his book as well, he says that for us, stories are like virtual reality simulators. They're ways that we can live out experiences, Mm -hmm. but in a safe way. Mm -hmm. We are safe. So we can experience what that person goes through we can process and imagine it as if it were us on a certain emotional level. We are mentally thinking through, what would I do if I was in that situation? Mm-hmm. How would I feel? Would what I do what they're doing? You know, like you're screaming at the, the movie theater horror screen, like, don't go in there! <laughs> you know, you're, it's a simulator that allows you to process that experience and think about it without going through it, which is why stories are powerful for young people, because you can tell them a story that has a certain moral to it, a certain message, and and give them, right, they learn the lesson without having gone through the disaster that the person in that story went through. So to tell every lesson, to share every message, 
and every moral that you want to teach a young person or an old person like me to build up that that wisdom that character those values within them the safest way you can do it is within a hero story because the hero story then connects to that hero that's baked in their unconsciousness and allows them to process it through their own heroic lens and then allows them to grow without having gone anywhere done anything they just sat there with a book but they they took it in their mind as a virtual simulation and don't you think then you're prepared that when whatever life-changing event happens to you you are taking all those stories with you and now you're not ready but ready to deal with what happens and i think this is why we've talked about this how powerful stories are for adults and also for children And we've also talked about training their affections through story. And heroes are so important to protect for our kids, I think. And this is why. Yeah. They need people to emulate and to look up to. They need heroes. And it's such a... We do too. Absolutely. I think especially kids. And it's such a thing to be subversive to that in children's literature in YA and I think it's important that we are making sure that they have heroes and that we don't need to tear down and know all the warts about everybody and everything for them they need to have some firm ground well it's an interesting thing again in Legends of the Night I interviewed a gentleman named Daniel Taylor who had written a book called Tell Me a Story about storytelling and he says early in the book early in the movie that the 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 first question a child asks is it's not the question of what is right and what is wrong the question they ask is who should i be like oh yes that's the question because they says is he good or bad and and we commonly say he is both can you pick out where yeah, can you yeah. pick out each point? And and, and 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 that's the question too. And again, I, it's funny. I should have watched the movie again before, I, but I've seen it so many times, and I remember it, even though it's been a while since I've seen Legends of the Night. But but then then there's a there's a rabbi that I interviewed named Carrie Friedman who essentially says similar to that. Young people have their whole lives to look at the gray stories. Yeah. To 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 examine which we as adults do, you know, we don't want the absolute characters. That's boring to us at this point. We want the characters to wrestle. Hmm. We want them to struggle with their own personal definitions of who they're going to be and what is heroic and what is are they a hero? Are they a villain? I mean, mm-hmm. the great literature does that. It forces the character and thus you as the reader to wrestle. But to your point, Amanda, they've got their whole lives to do that. Mm-hmm. As a child, we need stories that lift up the clarity, even if all yeah. of the issues are not clear, even if we as adults can acknowledge that, that the world is, is filled with things that are nuanced. There is a moment to say, I see the good guy and the bad guy, and I choose to be the good guy. Mm-hmm. I choose to be Batman and not the Joker. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is, you know, that is the choice you want them to make as a young person. Yeah, I think I've heard and then seen throughout the Facebook thread, too, how many times people have talked about, like, being frustrated with their own story. And so they wanted something different. And that's why we turn to. And it's interesting. I'm kind of realizing now we turn to things that feel different. But yet now we know are the same. Yes. Because our life is our life. But we wanted it to look different in that moment. A distraction that would take us to feel somewhere else. And then in that story that was a distraction, we find ourselves again. Well, I would. Yeah. I would say when you look at the things you're drawn to, the stories you're drawn to. Like you talk about, I think you guys even have terms for like your comfort books. Don't you have terms that you've been using? Like the things you just oh, like to read? Yeah. 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 So on some level, I would theorize, I would guess that whatever your heart books are, are books that express a reality that you long for. You long to be true. Hmm. And you long for that, not only externally for that world to be the case, but what the, the the story ultimately says about the main character, you want that to be true about you. Like it's comforting to feel who that person ultimately becomes is who I'm becoming. 
Hmm. What that person has overcome, I will overcome. Without the need to push you to say, yeah, you can, but you're really going to have to suffer to get there. (laughs) We know that's the reality. And the stories that really move and change us are the stories that force us to acknowledge the suffering and growth we will have to endure to become the person we want to be, to shape the world we long to see. However, the comforting things are the ones that say, no, you're already there. You're already already that person. (laughs) You're already there. You just need to just be you and nothing else. And just, it's okay. The world is just full of morons and terrible people that will hurt you for no reason. And you were always the good guy. That's the stories that it's like, I want to watch that 10 times. That makes me feel good. I don't really want to be challenged. But it has to be a mix of both. Because you can't deal with the the growth story over and over again. You'll kill yourself. Maybe I am Elizabeth Bennett. (laughs) Maybe I am. (laughs) I would love to hear a little bit more about the cycle the hero goes through. Yeah, so it's an interesting cycle to talk about because once you know it, you can see it in literature again and again and all kinds of storytelling, films everywhere. But also you can start to see it in your own life, which is why it's most powerful in my, in my judgment. So essentially where it starts is with normal. So life is normal. Everything is normal. The way you like it to be. The way you're comfortable with. And then there is some kind of explosion. And that explosion is essentially the call to adventure. And you, something changes. A circumstance, uh, an issue, someone dies, someone comes back to life, someone is born, there is a crisis, and you are called to the adventure. Well, first you're going to say no. No, reluctance, forget it, I'm not going to do it. Here are all the reasons I'm not going to do it. This is a terrible idea. And then after that, you then realize, no, I have to do it. I have to go. And then once you go, you get out into the unknown. You are beyond your comfort zone. You're out in the wilderness all by yourself. But somewhere along the path, you get a mentor who helps you, who is a coach, a teacher. And that coaching teacher gives you a special thing that represents your own personal power. It could be a wand, it could be a sword, it could be a whatever, but you have a physical, you are equipped for the journey with armor. Then you go out and you and you go out, you're gonna face the dragon, you're gonna fight the crisis, and in the midst of that, you're gonna go into the belly of the whale. You're gonna have a horrible, terrible, darkest thing you could ever experience. It's gonna be horrible, and you're gonna feel like you're gonna die, but you don't die, you overcome. Once you have overcome, you return to your normal world. However, you are not normal anymore. You are changed. You have a boon to bring to your community, to bring to the world, to bring to your family, because you're more than you were before. And in doing that, you create a new normal, a better normal than where you started. So essentially, it is a journey where you leave normal, you go out and have a bold adventure, you get the help you need along the way, but it changes you. And when you come back, you are different and you have something beautiful and better to bring the world that changes the world. That is the story we tell over and over and over and over and over. And not only do we tell it, we live it. Yeah, the we live it part hit me later just now when you were saying it where I was like, my life matches up to that. That's right. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one that would say that. But I mean, I literally was almost in tears just now like, oh my word. But, so, my question was going to be, does this ruin literature for us? What do y'all think? When That's I first was rolling around, watching a few videos, I was, I, it felt spoiled. But it doesn't now. But what's your, what's your, like, gut reaction there, Amanda? Like, I love it. I think it deepens it. Yeah. It can help me look at it a different way. And I love connective thought through things, through history, yeah. through philosophy, through literature. And this is a big old connective line. <laughs> yeah. And there yeah. are so many variations um, that it's not like, you know, you're, you're reading the book and, oh, well, I know what's going to happen next. Because not, there's not at all. Right. Because there's so many variations and nuances <clears throat> that even though if you stopped and thought about it, you might be able to predict, oh, this or that is likely to happen along the way. Um, it's not like you can never enjoy a story again. 
No, my first reaction was, oh, that's disappointed and the, or disappointing. And then the more I thought it through, it's, the details are always different. Trent and I were talking about it a little last night and he was like, well, the details are always different and the details are what we connect to. And I just thought that was really insightful. And that's when I began to put it in place that like every journey still feels different. We just know that we are humans and yes. there is a way we live our lives. I think and, there's a satisfaction a to it. We are always yeah. going to be asked to, yeah. to, to decide on. There's a satisfaction to it because it connects so deeply. Now, is with every us. story a hero story? You know, I mean, the answer is every mainstream story is on some level. Hmm. I feel like our obsession with villains is new. And so on the one hand, I could say like, oh, maybe there's villain stories where they went through the same things and it made something different out of yeah. them. But that's not that's not a long but, thing, but, thing but, we've done. But, in our but all you're doing in that case, there's still a hero in the story. Yeah, the question is, who is the primary focus of the story? So you're just flipping perspective. But but the question that's interesting about what you were talking about a minute like ago... Like a tragedy. Is Romeo and Juliet a hero story? Yeah. I mean, they are the heroes of the story. I mean, there's two. There's not just one. There's two. But but in that case, I mean, I think... I think and I was thinking about this as the two of you were talking. The, 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 the general pattern of the story is always the same. But it is within the variations you're talking about that you actually can understand what the author is trying to say. So maybe with Romeo and Juliet, I mean, they die, but we are changed. So there's the change there. It's like their, their impression well, and their legacy still went, but it well, the question is the, the question is also, I mean, the difference between the hero... I mean, typically, the difference between, in the traditional terms, the tragedy and the comedy is when the hero is, or heroine, is given the opportunity for the change. Or in Shakespeare, how many people die versus how many people get married. Yes, yes. <laughs> tragedy but the, the versus question comedy. is, will they accept it and grow from it? And in the stories where they do accept the change, they do accept the growth. They are willing to go into the belly of the beast and fight through their own insecurities, their own problems, and grow in those they win and succeed. But when they don't, typically it's a tragedy. When they refuse growth. And that's the tragic flaw that's correct. that we talk about. So they have a character flaw in tragedies that they cannot or will not get over that leads to a tragic outcome. At some point in their hero's journey, they disrupt the flow. They will not go through the steps because each step requires growth, change, pain, and suffering. So a tragedy is the person unwilling At to do some the, point to finish. Or fall short. Yes, yes. I think, I think in Campbell's outline, there was a 16-step process. Yeah, so the hero's journey is like 16, 17 steps. Most people have distilled it to much shorter, 12 steps, whatever. But the original one is like 17 steps. At some point, they short circuit the process and they say, no, I will not grow through that. I will not go through that suffering. And then it's a tragedy because they will not finish the cycle. But if you, again, it's the variations that you look at where you can see what the author is trying to say, because every step of the hero's journey has different emotional resonance depending on your cultural moment. So sometimes it's just the refusal to accept the call. That's enough for it to be a tragedy. Well, are we in a moment where we as a society are refusing to even accept the call? It's not that we won't go into the belly of the beast, which is further down the path. We won't even accept the call from the beginning. Yeah, we won't even get off the couch and go out into the world and engage in anything. That's correct. Mm -hmm. We won't do it. And so the point in the process that the author chooses to disrupt, he's making he or she is making a statement about society at the moment. And about the nature and values of people in that moment. And so I don't think this ah, cycle makes it more difficult or boring. I think it, in great literature, exposes more clearly what the author is really trying to say. That's what I was about to say, too. I'd like to read my next book with this frame in mind, picking it out, because I, I think I'll see the points more clearly. Is <laughs> basically what you just said, actually. Um... And I always want the takeaway, even on fiction. And a lot of people just feel like there's nothing to take away from fiction, which I think is the dumbest statement ever. But <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I'm thinking of a person, but anyway. Um, <laughs> who is it? Tell me. <laughs> you know who you are. But I'd like to read with this frame, consider the story, and then consider my takeaway. Because I wonder if reading these stories and watching the way that they answer the call and the way prepares our yes for the call, maybe. Yes, yes. And that is the point anyway, right? I mean, that's what all great literature like, does. You still it, have to suffer, but prepare your yes. That's right. That's right. It provokes the change. And I think even that literature sort of enacts as a therapist for you. Because if you read through, straight it does, right now. it does, because <laughs> the pain that heals yeah, is a correct. therapy term. That's correct. Yes. Because when, when you watch a, a movie, I, I, I mean, I, my friends are making fun of me because right now, because I'm obsessed with the movie Sing 2. I'm obsessed with it. And there is a... I may go see it again this afternoon. I'm not kidding. In for, the movie for theater. how many times? Yeah, I don't know. Number five, I think. In the yeah. theater. I won't watch it on the little screen because I can't hear it. You know, it's it's big and bold. It's an amazing movie. And and so... And but, it's a sequel, too. That's, I mean, that's right. Like, yeah. I, I, but there are two points in that movie where no matter how many times I see it, I cry every time. Now, I'm not crying... Because of the lion that Bono is playing in the movie. That's not why I'm crying. That's personal. That's right. Because there is a moment in his journey, in his hero's journey, where he is stuck. And right now, I am wrestling with that myself. Mm-hmm. It's personal. It's personal. And so I would say that this is where it's a therapist. When you find yourself emotionally reacting with, with anger... It's the time to With ask. crying, with whatever it is, with joy, yeah. whatever it is, when you have an emotional reaction to literature, look at where that person is in the hero's journey. And what is this Look at me? that space and say, mm-hmm. what does that say about mm-hmm. where I am yeah. in my hero's journey it's an right now? for introspection. It is. It is. And that's the other power of this, too, is it forces you to ask yourself, why am I responding to stories this way right now? Because there's nothing wrong with reading for distraction, but I think to read with purpose is is an amazing opportunity for growth. And this is a tool for like, here's how you do it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's stories. Again, it comes back to the virtual reality simulator. Mm-hmm. Stories give you the opportunity. You may not be willing to sit on the therapist's couch and talk about these things, but you are watching it unfold in the lives of these people. I mean, great storytellers are in touch with the deepest parts of the human heart and soul. And they are revealing them through these characters. And they are, you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm just, you know. And and that's why, I mean, some things, if, if all the story is doing is affirming your view of life and your view of yourself, not it could be comforting, but it's not challenging. It's not making you any better. It's just affirming where you are. It's essentially saying to Frodo, don't leave the Shire. Just stay home with your nice things, all your nice soups and your food and your <laughs> yes. chairs and all of your things that make you so comfortable. That's what you know that Lifetime movie you're watching is doing. And that's not bad. There's a place for Frodo to stay in the Shire and celebrate his friends and launch the fireworks and all those things. That's nice. But that's not calling you to the adventure, right? That's that's just going to keep you staying home. You know, where's the moment where Katniss raises her hand and says, I'll go instead. Mm-hmm. I'll go instead. That is that call that is needed to launch the adventure. Yeah, and I think the books, again, that are comforting are the ones that have the predictable formulas where we know so like comfort reads for me a lot of times are romances and in a romance the belly of the beast is always a breakup so they always get together fall in love they're together and then there's a breakup but you know they're getting back together Mm -hmm. because in a romance novel it always ends happily so even though you know she's crying on the couch you know for days, eating ice cream, can't go to work, brokenhearted, whatever the, the thing is, it doesn't touch me that deeply. It doesn't upset me because it's a formula and yes. I know she's about to somehow it's going to work out and then I'm going to have my happy ending and it's all going to be fine. It's safe. It's safe. It's safe. It's a safe hero's journey to go through. And, but Jonah didn't know if he was going to live through the belly of the beast. Right. right. He was there for three days and it was ugly and dark and he didn't have a candle. 
like he does in all the little pictures I have. <laughs> well, you know, how else would you see Jonah if he didn't have a candle? Where did he get this candle? But there's no picture if he doesn't have a candle. Like a I mean, light. it was dark in there and ugly and gross and acidic and smelly and all. It was just tight in the dark. I mean, three days in that. I mean, that's the real belly of the beast. And essentially thinking, I'm sitting here suffering and this is going to end with my death. That's all the way it can end. And yet it does not end. It's an unexpected getting spit up on the shore. Make another decision, Jonah. And he does. But he didn't have to. He still didn't have to. But you're right. If there's no real risk. And that's why these 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 shows now that entice us so much where it's like, they just killed the main character. I can't believe they did that. Because it makes the belly of the beast real. 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 There is real threat here. They in the next episode they can kill the character you like best because they just killed this person who's been the main character for two seasons. You know, I mean that creates a risk that is more lifelike and that makes us have to evaluate our own life. Well, I would love to just maybe name a few more examples from literature. Like classic examples of the hero's journey. Yeah, we've named Harry Potter. You've referenced almost Odysseus. Yes. That's a great example. Mm-hmm. Katniss Everdeen, Frodo. Yeah. I throw Lucy in there too from Iron Lewis's Man. Narnia. I mean, he was already amazing. Tony Stark was amazing and great. And then said that well, I'm not in literature right now. But <laughs> you are in literature. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so yes. He's in yeah. the cave and he's really stuck. Yeah. And yeah. then he has to become. And he was already a lot, but he has to become the thing that he needed to be. Yeah. yeah. Which well, sets off the entire Avengers whole story like yeah we need it well it's it's everywhere the question is where are the places where where it's most apparent i mean those are the and it's in the classic things you mentioned lord of the rings you know lying the witch in the wardrobe wizard of oz i mean these are stories yeah 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 Yeah. these Um, these are stories where it's easy to see because they are epic and mythical in scope but even in the not real but I mean, even Gone with the Wind, you could pick it out. And that's there's nothing magic about that. But like a war happens and suddenly my comforts are gone. Some of these people are not doing as well as I am because I had to develop resolve. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Gone with the Wind, Ben-Hur, Harry Potter, Hunger Games. I mean, all of these stories that are classic, iconic stories all have them. Now, in again, more modern things that tend to be a little more less linear in their Direction and their hmm. narrative direction. Those things, again, are mythical because they tend to follow the pattern. You know, the Star Wars pattern. It's lean, mean. Star Wars A New Hope is a lean, mean hero's journey. Yeah. Yeah. There is not much extra and there is not, it's really just lean, mean, we follow the hero's journey. And, you know, Harry Potter goes this direction and that direction and this direction. Is it over seven books? That's and correct. Lots that's of correct. And turns so and- ultimately you can see the narrative arc in each one of the books mm-hmm. and in the thing as a whole. That's what it's doing. So mm-hmm. you can see the arc over the seven books, but you can also see it individually in each book. There's a little bit of incremental growth in each book, but it still leads up to the big thing. Mm-hmm. So, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's that, it's that classic stuff where you see it the most. I mean, anything, you know, the, the, you know, Count of Monte Cristo, the Three Musketeers. King the, Arthur. Yeah, well, there's King a Arthur reason legend. they're classics. Yeah. It's because the stories persisted, and they persisted because that's, we are humans that enjoy a story of a certain framework. That's, that's right. That's interesting. And, and the story resonates with us at its broadest, biggest level of 10, 12 hours of reading, but also if I tell you the story in 30 seconds. Yeah. You feel the hero's journey within <laughs> all of it. Robin each, Hood. Each yeah. version, whether you're watching a you know a five-minute video that middle schoolers did on YouTube or you're watching, I mean, when you distill it down to its core, the core of it is the hero's journey. You can't get away from it. The Call of the Wild, I just, like, I'm immediately, like, hearing it now and everything I've read recently. The Call of the Wild is about a dog, but I'm like, yeah, he had a hero's journey. Yeah, that's right. Everything. Yeah. I mean, you could go go through, yeah, everything you read on your middle school, high school reading list. Frankenstein, Dracula. But again, those are not following it specifically, particularly Dracula, because of the way it's arranged. You have to ferret it out in the end. And who is the hero of that story? And, you know, the person who starts is... Uh, you think is the hero really isn't as big in the end so where is the it's it's more tangled but that's why that book is a little different but even structurally it's very different frankenstein is trickier because who is the hero of frankenstein is it 
and who is the villain? I mean, yeah. that, but that is the interplay yeah. of what Mary Shelley is trying to say mm-hmm. with that story. Yeah. Right. She is trying to force you to question the heroic nature of the Victorian noble person and their ability to wield power at their own whim and the danger that that is for the everyday person for them to pretend that they are God. But the fact that she is forcing you to contemplate who is the hero and who is the villain and then essentially switching it on you in the middle of the novel and by the end you realize, well, the creature was the hero, the hero for sure. and the creator was the villain. Mm-hmm. What are we saying? Mm-hmm. What are mm-hmm. we saying about religion? What are mm-hmm. we saying about society? That's the point. Yeah. But the hero's journey helps you see it in that book. You said the word tangled, and I thought that's another movie. Ah! <laughs> We're going from Frankenstein to Rapunzel. <laughs> I would love to know, Brett. Like, if you can think off the top of your head of, like, your top three-ish movies that are good movies but are also great representations of this. Oh, the movies, I mean, that's that's even easier. I mean, Star Wars is yeah. the top one. I yeah. Mean, that is the easiest one. He George Lucas built that movie yeah. around, around. Yeah. that hero's journey, and you can see it. You know, Wait, all, he did it consciously? Oh, consciously, yeah. okay. yes. He was a student of oh, Joseph that. Campbell and... Uh, Yoda the mentor. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Well, in that movie, it's not Yoda. It's Obi-Wan. Oh, you're That's right. right. You're right. It's Obi-Wan, and, and he dies yes. right before the end. Yep. And he's I mean, passed over. every step. That's yeah, right. Yeah, no, you're right. That's I'm right. And that. his equipment that he's given is the lightsaber, and the belly of the beast yes. is the going into the Death Star, and the I mean, it, or there's lots of bellies of the beast. Yeah. There's a trash compactor, which is probably the most literal belly of the beast <laughs> that they have to escape from. But then there's also you know other ones. But you can also look at it in that terms, would sorry that would be a great one to go through with your kids. Yes. Yeah, if you wanted yes, to start to teaching them the hero's journey yes. and watch Star Wars because it's super clear. Yes. Good so what, what's yeah. interesting, but what's also great about Star Wars is that you can look at the hero's journey from Luke's perspective or from Han Solo's perspective, and it's a little different because they're both heroes by the end, but they go on separate journeys, different journeys. Very interesting. One where Luke Skywalker is asking for it. He's begging for it. He wants to get off the planet and go have a heroic journey. And Han Solo's like, get out of here. I ain't going. I'm not doing this. <laughs> they're completely yeah. opposite. And yet at the end, they're both standing on the same stage wearing the same medal. And so they have both gone on hero's journey, but different. But they represent both of the iconic mythical heroes, one which is begging for the journey and the other which is reluctantly denying the journey. And correct me if I'm wrong, Princess Leia, I feel like she's already had hers. That's correct. She shows up as a hero. That's correct. Who's already gone through her journey, knows who she is, and she's kind of, she's one of their guides. Yes, she is. lights. That's right. To get them where they need to go. That's right. And in the end, she is, after Obi-Wan Kenobi is dead, she really is the mentor guiding the direction. Here is what we're going to do, and here is your role in it. And in the end, she is the one that bestows the honors at the end to everyone but Chewbacca. Poor Chewbacca. (laughs) Chewie. Okay, so we got Star Wars. What's another classic? Oh, let's see. I mean, Ben-Hur. Oh, for um, sure. Ben-Hur is, yeah. is one of my favorite movies of all time and and a little slow now for modern audiences. But what age would you watch it with your kids? Hmm. Yeah, I haven't watched it, actually. Yeah, so. I mean, I mean, I would say somewhere between 10 and 13 is probably good. The, good, okay. the right age. Good. Because if you get a little older, you've seen other things, you know, that mm. have, are more interesting, exciting. So but, that you can have the right yeah, experience. Yeah, but yeah. the depth of the emotional experience of Ben-Hur... And in some ways, the unexpectedness of that journey, that story will still surprise you in the end because you're not expecting it to take the turn it takes in the last 15 minutes. We were just talking about that the other day. It's an excellent book, too. And in the same vein, The Robe is also excellent. And I think... I think that's also Hero's Journey. Yes. So oh, absolutely yeah. the robe yeah. is. Absolutely the robe is. And, and, and other movies in that same vein, Spartacus... Um, you know, I mean, Spart. Well, I can't give away, but it's Spartacus again. Twists the ending on you, and and changes it. it. You on some level feel it was inevitable, but it doesn't follow the typical hero's journey. But that is a movie like some other movies where, in the end, well, I'll just say this: what the hero gives gives to the world is himself or herself fully, fully and completely gives themselves away. 
And, you know, that's why, I mean, again, the twist, I, I'm going to say, if you're more looking for a more mature hero's journey narrative, it is the three Batman movies that Christopher Nolan did. Mm. Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Watch those through all as one. Pinnacle. And that is the hero's journey, but told in a complex, unexpected way yeah. that even though it follows the path, it breaks and rebuilds, it deconstructs and reconstructs your expectations mm -hmm. for a modern world of what a hero is. And that process of deconstructing and reconstructing that is, again, what the filmmaker, storyteller is trying to say to you about your life in the modern world. So, I mean, I, I, I went and saw the new Batman movie, The Batman, and that movie I'm not fully settled with. Because of the way it deconstructs and reconstructs the hero narrative for a modern era. And what they are saying about that, uh, as a lifelong Batman fan, I'm not sure what I think about that. Hmm. So I'm going to have to see it again before I deliver a final verdict. But I have not made a video to post on YouTube about that movie yet. Interesting. Where can people find you on YouTube, Brett? Yeah, I mean, just search my name, Brett Culp, B-R-E-T-T-C-U-L-P. Right there. It, yeah, and all the stuff pretty much that's on YouTube of me that has the most popular is all related to superheroes. The, the trailer for Legends of the Night. I made a video where I talked for 19 minutes about Batman versus Superman. Which is what we need right now Yes, around this Ukrainian situation it too. It is honestly. I absolutely I, love I that thought movie. Thought about it last week. I love that movie, Batman vs Superman. Most people don't like it. I think it's because they don't understand it. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to belittle I liked anybody, it. but I, I think it's because I, to me the deconstruction and reconstruction of the hero myth in that movie is as spot on to what is needed in our cultural dialogue right now. So I've actually made two videos about that movie. Mm. It's the only movie I've ever made two videos about. They're both good, I I'm think. I'm going to go watch those. <laughs> so, One of them I cry in. I literally cry, oh. burst into tears in the middle of the video and did not cut it out. It was important. It was. It was to me. Yeah. Uh, so you can you can find Brett on Facebook. You can find him on Instagram. You can find him on YouTube. You can find him where you find people, right? Every place but Snapchat. <laughs> I still don't understand Snapchat. I'm not on TikTok either. I don't. That's uh, fine. Yeah. Then I'm you not don't there. need to be. Every place else. LinkedIn, Twitter, all the places. Brett Colt. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming to uh, talk with us today, sweetie. Thank you, my dear. Can I get a kiss after this podcast? Sure. You <laughs> All right. This was really rich. Thank you so much for doing this. So everybody listening, comment on our Facebook group, Why Are Heroes Important? What do you think? What did you get out of this? Have you heard about the hero's journey cycle? What's been your experience with it? And what are some examples dawning on you now from literature or even movies that you want to throw in the chat? Love to hear what you're thinking about this. Awesome. Well, until next time, I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And we'll see you later. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, subscribe to Book Fair Podcast. Join our Facebook group, find us on Instagram, or email us at chat at bookfairpodcast.com. And don't forget to tell a friend.